We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. I'm not a cocky person. I'm just passionate. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately. Quarantine and chill. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible, presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I am Justin Graver. With me, as always, is Justin Mello. Today, we're going to dive deep into Titans free agency, looking at who the best fits on the free agent market for this Titans team are. We're going to dive into all that. Justin, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Excited to, uh, to dive into this with you. Yeah, we've kind of teased this for a few weeks now. We touched on a few guys throughout the process of talking about replacement options for the Titans impending free agents. But today, we're really going to focus on outside guys and see who the Titans might be looking at signing and who really fits this team better than anyone else. Before we touch on that, though, I want to get to two little news items that happened since our last podcast. One of those being on our last podcast, we actually discussed how the Titans had cut Breon Borders along with, I think, Chris Milton and Adam Humphreys. And we mentioned that because they, these guys, Breon Borders and Chris Milton, finished the season on IR, the Titans were obligated to release them. Well, once they passed a physical, which they apparently must have done last week. Well, here we are. The Titans have re-signed Breon, Border, Breon Borders, which we mentioned was a big possibility because his, his being waived was more of a formality than anything else. He's going to be a depth body in camp, most likely. But, you know, I think he's a solid veteran depth guy to have uh, in the defensive backfield. Yeah, it's nice that they brought him back. You know, uh, initially when I when I when I didn't know it was a formality that they let him go, I was surprised. I'm like, oh wow, you know, they, they let borders go. Okay, but no, totally makes sense to bring him back as they have. Uh, he's definitely, I think, a, a you know a pretty strong bet to make the 53 man roster. He's certainly not guaranteed a spot on there, but uh, you know you'll have to feel good about his chances of, of coming into camp and competing. You know, based on what he did last year, I think the big thing with him is going to have to be proving he's healthy. From what I recall, uh, it was a hip injury that landed him on IR. And I want to say he had a, a hip injury in college. That was a little concerning. It was one of the reasons uh, I believe he went undrafted to begin with. So, you know, as long as he's healthy, as long as he's ready to go and ready to compete, uh, he should have a good chance to, to make some noise in training camp once again. Yeah, definitely. I, I do think you probably see him on the final 53-man roster, depending on how many young cornerbacks they add this offseason. Let's look at another piece of news here. This has to do with the salary cap. So Field Yates tweeted this out on uh, Thursday evening, talking about how much money each team is going to be able to carry over from the 2020 season onto their 2021 salary cap. That number has been finalized for every team. And the Titans are going to have an extra $8,045,000. So about, right about $8 million in extra space. Spotrack had them projected for like $2.5 or $2.3 or something here. So... Almost $6 million more million than what was projected for cap space for Tennessee. They come in about 17th, I think, in the NFL in terms of the most rollover space added. So anything helps, right? We know the salary cap's most likely going to be down uh, from last year. So the extra $8 million doesn't hurt. I mean, you said it. Anything helps. An extra $8 million is, uh, is one pretty good player. You know what I mean? It, it could be the difference, but you know, it, it makes it, it definitely makes a difference in what you can do uh, in free agency. So it's a, it's a good thing for them. It's, you know, a good thing for everybody, but for them to come in around 17th, you know, in terms of how, you know, how much rollover they're bringing over uh, it's, it's not a bad place to be. So definitely, definitely better in their pocket than someone else's. Right. Right. Exactly. Speaking of that one good player, let's see if we can identify that one good player or maybe a few good players here as we start to talk through the free agent possibilities that the Titans might be looking at. I'm just going to run through names here, guys that we expect to be on the market. There's a chance that their team re-signs these guys. Um, but before that happens, you know, we're going to possibly see these guys hit the market and have a chance to explore free agency, kind of like J.J. Watt has done over the past month, which he said he said free agency is wild. So you got to think most of these guys want to experience that wildness. Of course, J.J. Watt signs with Arizona. Everyone saw that coming, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, Jonathan Boren from our Coach's Corner, uh, you know, podcast and Broadway Sports Media said it best, right? Uh, I, I, you know, it, it was so... 
I feel bad for saying it because I don't think Arizona is a terrible place to be by any means, but it just felt a little anticlimactic, right? I mean, because you had this talk about, you know, he could reunite with Vrabel in Tennessee. He could go to Buffalo and get them over the hump. You know, he could go to Green Bay where he's loved in the state of Wisconsin. You know, he could team up with his brother in Pittsburgh. In the end, Arizona felt a little anticlimactic, right? And, and what Jonathan Boren said, and I agreed with was, I have no reaction to it, right? It almost just feels like, uh, okay, cool, good luck. You know, like it just, just not a lot to talk about there. And interesting move. And I, and I, you know, I, I don't know what happened there. I don't have any sources on that, but I agree with a lot of what I read on social media that said, you know, after all the fuss he made about, you know, wanting to win and yada, yada, he probably just went to the warmest place with the most money, right? It's kind of what it felt like. It definitely feels like that. And it, I think Zach uh, put it best. He was on, he did what we called a happy hour live Periscope thing, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, the other night just to answer questions, hang out with people and talk. And I think he said it really nicely in that J.J. Watt is a piece, would have been a nice piece for the Titans to add, but he's by no means the piece. The Titans aren't really going to suffer by not having J.J. Watt. It would have been nice to add him for the right price, but I think what he's going to be paid by the Cardinals is more than... I don't think that would have been worth it for the Titans. I don't think he would have been enough of an upgrade at this point in his career. Although I definitely think he would have been an upgrade for that kind of money. I think we're going to talk about all these guys here in a second that, you know, you can put that money towards. I don't think they're missing out by missing on J.J. Watt that much. It sounds like a lot of money. You know, I certainly would have liked to have had him, but uh, Arizona really, uh, really, you know, splurged for him. And, and if Tennessee did do that, you know, to comment on Zach's, um, you know, Zach's theory that he would have been a piece, you know, if the Titans did that, they probably would have been able to really go get anyone else, right? Like at the money that, that Watt got paid. So, uh, you know, certainly don't feel too bad about missing out on that. Amen. All righty. Let's start looking at the guys on the market now, and I'm just going to dive right in. This is, this episode's called Best Free Agency Fits. My number one best free agency fit for the Titans based on need and ability and co expected cost is by far Carl Lawson, defensive end who has played his career so far with the Cincinnati Bengals. We've talked about him a little bit on this podcast before, but really going to dive into it. This is a guy who didn't have massive production this past season, but he did have a lot of pressures. He was pretty disruptive, you know, story of the Titans season, right? But I think he's a guy who kind of like Shaq Barrett a few years ago when he was coming off of, coming out of Denver and he signed in Tampa Bay and just exploded with, you know, more opportunity and more ability. I, I watched the Cincinnati Bengals tape and there's a lot of plays where Carl Lawson's not on the field for whatever reason. Um, he, they use him a lot on third down, but not a lot on other downs. And he's just a really refined pass rusher that would add so much to the Titans. Yeah, you're not going to get many much pushback from me. Uh, if people listen to this podcast hoping that we're going to argue and and, and have different <laughs> opinions, uh, it's not going to be on Carl Lawson because I'll tell you what, I've been a big fan of his for a long time. I remember when he was coming out of Auburn in, in 2017. You know I'm a draft guy at heart. Uh, that, that was either my first or second draft that I was scouting, you know, personally and really starting to, you know, learn and watch the tape and, and formulate my own big boards. And, and Lawson was in my top 25. I want to say, I have to go back and look, but I remember I was incredibly high on him. So come draft weekend and he ends up going, what I think it was in the fourth round. I mean, I was shocked. Right? I go again, I, I was pretty new to this. I remember looking at my board and saying, wow, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, it turns out I did know what I was doing, and NFL teams didn't know what they were doing because <laughs> Carl Lawson's a good player. Right? He's a really good player, and for him to go in the fourth round there, from what I recall, and I, I believe he's got, you know, he had short arms, right? I, I think he didn't have the longest arms at the combine, and, and that really hurt him. And then apparently there were some teams who thought he was stiff and just didn't move well, and, and I was a big fan of his tape. Again, I had him in the top 25, and what happens? You know, I remember he was real upset, you know, about going where he went, of course, and, you know, thought he was a lot better than that. Well, he breaks out as a rookie in 2017. He has eight and a half sacks. I mean, he made everyone look stupid uh, right from the jump. You know, he gets hurt in 2018, didn't, didn't really play much there. 2019 and 2020, yeah, you know, the, the, the production looks kind of modest, you know, five sacks in 2019 and five and a half in 2020. Uh, but you said it, you know, the, the the win rate in terms of, you know, pass rush win rate and, and the pressures that he created. This is a good football player. Now, uh, you know, I, because Zach's comments are maybe still fresh in my head, I think he's a piece. 
I think they would need to do more than that at the edge position. That's really because of how bad the situation uh, is at the edge position. But I do think Carl Lawson would be a really nice signing. He is the one edge player that I actually, I really do hope they go out and get. When it comes to, you know, the Matt Judons and the Bud Dupree's guys who are probably going to get more money than Lawson, I would think uh, you probably have a better feel for that. You pay a little closer attention to the market values than I do. Um, Lawson's the one that I want, though. I really think it would make a lot of sense for them to go out and get this guy. He's still a young player. Like you said, I think he's a little underappreciated because the stats don't jump out at you uh, immediately. But I think he's a guy that's really going to be able to match uh, you know, value for production, or, or maybe even so you get better, uh, you know, uh, production than, than you, you know, from dollar value perspective. So whereas a guy like Bud Dupree and Matt Judon, you know, their values from what, from what I understand are, are really high. Right? I don't know they're going to be able to match that. So I think Carl right. Lawson's a guy that would make a ton of sense for this team. So just to help compare, put some numbers in perspective, he had six sacks last season, TJ Watt, for example, led the NFL with 15 sacks, but here's where it gets interesting. When you look at hits, QB hits, TJ Watt only had three more than Carl Lawson, 27 to 24. When you look at hurries, Carl Lawson had 34 to TJ Watt's 31. So comparing him to the quote-unquote best pass rusher of the NFL last season, I mean, the sack numbers weren't there, but the pressures, the hurries, the hits, those are there. And looking at Pro Football Focus's pass rush productivity rating, which is a metric that combines um, sacks, hits, and hurries relative to how many times a player rushes the passer. So it's like an efficiency stat. He was ninth among qualified edge rushers last year, talking about Carl Lawson here. So I do think that he was more productive than the six sacks would indicate. One thing that's a potential holdup, and I really want to get your thoughts on this, he played 96% of his snaps from the right side last year. Harold Landry who was obviously the Titans' best returning pass rusher this coming season, played almost 70% of his snaps from the right side, only 30% on the left. So if you signed a guy like Carl Lawson, you're either asking Harold Landry to start taking the majority of snaps from the left side when he's used to taking the majority of snaps from the right side, or you're taking a guy who's almost exclusively lining up on the right side and asking him to move around a bit. Do you think that that is something that they have to take into consideration or do you just throw the guys on the field and let them play? I mean, you might consider it, but I don't know that it's a big enough deal to, to, to stop them from signing a guy like that. So what, what those numbers tell me is if they were comfortable with Harold Landry playing 30% of his snaps on the left side, it doesn't sound like Harold Landry is incapable of playing on the left side. Right. I mean, 30% isn't a, isn't a grand large number, but even still, if he was totally inept at doing it, I don't think they would have asked him to take even 30% of his snaps there. So for me, I, I don't know that that would be a big enough concern. I think you get good players on the field. This is not like get asking a guy to go from left tackle to right tackle. Right. I don't think it's the same thing. It's not asking the guy to go from it's not even asking the guy to go from right guard to left guard. Right. I don't think it's quite the same as that. So for me, it's, it's not a big enough concern. Yeah, I agree with that. And while we're talking about other guys, you mentioned guys like Bud Dupree and Matt Judon. Just want to compare their numbers here and why I agree with you that I think they're not nearly as good of a fit as Carl Lawson. And mostly because I do think they'll command more money just from status is looking at those sacks, hits, hurries numbers. Judon also had six sacks, but he had 15 hits compared to 24 hits by Carl Lawson. Only 18 hurries compared to 34 hurries for Lawson. 39 pressures compared to 64 total pressures of any kind. So I think that, you know, Judon is way lower than Lawson on all those metrics. He's lower in pass rush productivity, though not a ton lower. And going even further down the list is where you find Bud Dupree, who obviously tore his ACL last year. But, you know, he still rushed the passer 341 snaps, which is only 80 fewer snaps than Carl Lawson, even though he tore his ACL in the middle of the season. He only finished the year with nine QB hits, pass rush productivity, 7.6, 21st out of qualified players. So like, these are the reasons why these guys, to, to you and me at least, are lower down the list. You've, you'll hear a lot of analysts talking up Matt Judon and Bud Dupree as great fits for Tennessee, who obviously needs a big-time pass rusher, right? But I just think both of those guys are guys who are better when they're surrounded by great talent. And obviously, who isn't better when they're surrounded by great talent, right? But what the Titans need is somebody who can come in and make their teammates better. And I think Carl Lawson is that player 
much more than Judon or Bud Dupree, who have played on really talented defenses. And I don't think either one has ever even been the best pass rusher on their own team. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't know what it is with, with Judon and Dupree, but uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's bold of me to say, but I mean, you kind of read some of those numbers there. And I, I think it's fair to say that I think Carl Lawson's a better player than both of them. Right. And like you said, I mean, the situations they've been in, you know, Bud Debris playing in Pittsburgh with with TJ Watt and and, and Judon's always played on a pretty good D line in Baltimore. Uh, you know, also having Yannick Ngakwe there th- this year and a couple other guys, you know, Calais Campbell throughout his time there. So I, I just don't know that they're better players than Lawson. I, I don't think they are. Right. And Zadarius Smith came out of Baltimore, played alongside Judon right. in Baltimore, Brandon Williams, great defensive line, nose tackle. Terrell Suggs was there when Judon yep. was drafted. So Trusting he's always... BK was there as a rookie this past. I don't know how much of an impact, you know, he, he had, but good future player there. Yeah, so the Baltimore's always had a lot of talent on the D-line. Obviously, we know about Pittsburgh's talented D-line. So let's talk about another guy, another edge rusher guy, somebody who actually finished much higher on the pass rush productivity scale, pro football focuses scale, than Carl Lawson. And that's the Detroit player, Romeo Aquara. Aquara, I think I'm saying that right. Came in fifth overall in PFF's pass rush productivity. Finished the year with 10 sacks, 42 hurries, 61 pressures. This is a guy who is viewed as kind of a one-hit wonder, but he had a pretty good 2019 season as well. He's kind of flying under the radar. I'm not sure how much money he's actually going to get paid, but seems like a guy that'll be in, you know, more like tier two if we consider Bud Dupree and Matt Judon tier one costs. I think you can look at Aquara's tier two, maybe even less than that, as a guy who, like you said, Carl Lawson doesn't solve all the problems. They need to sign multiple guys. I think Romeo Aquara is a guy that's like one of the guys that you sign in addition to whoever you pay a lot of money to, right? Do do you have his market value? I'm curious because I have a feeling that, I don't know, you know, coming off a 10-sack season, still a young guy, you know, coming off a rookie deal, I have a feeling he's going to get a pretty penny. They have him at $10 a year. They're projecting a three-year, $30 million deal, which... Frankly, I mean, you gave Vic Beasley ten and a half million last year. Three years, ten million. If you can get that first year cap hit down to like seven, seven and a half million, I think that would be a, a heck of a signing for the Titans. He's only twenty five years old. He'll be twenty six before the season starts, but he's only twenty five years old. I mean, this is a guy that I think is just underrated overall. I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong; I'm not opposed completely, but. I do think there's a little buyer beware there, you know, okay. Rookie years are rookie years. You know, we're not going to worry too much about that. You know, as a sophomore, he only played in in six games, comes back in 2018, has a, has a terrific season, really breaks out in Detroit. Guess the, you know, the giants who had drafted him gave up on him, goes to Detroit, gets seven and a half sacks in 2018, obviously had a good year. Uh, You say he had a great 2019. I need need to know more. No, I meant to say, you're right. I meant to say he had a, a decent 2018, not 2019. Yeah, 2019. When I, I mean, said he was I'm a not gonna lie. I don't remember yeah. watching a lot, a lot of them. I'm not gonna pretend like I did. But one and a half sacks, you know, a little concerning there in 2019. Looks like he was fairly healthy. Played in 14 games. Says he only started one. So I guess it kind and of only played 50. On... He only played about 50 percent of the snaps in 2019. So whether that's performance, health, or coaching. Yeah, so he wasn't a starter though. For whatever reason, he was not right. a guy that they put on the field a lot. Changed a little in, in 2020, and yeah, he broke out with 10 sacks, but. Again, it makes me think there's a little buyer beware there, right? I, I would be careful. Put it this way. You know, I, I am much, much higher on the thought of signing Carl Lawson than I am signing Romeo Aquara. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I think Aquara is a guy that is additional support, and you'd have to sign someone else that is going to be your every down starter across from Harold Landry. And Aquara is like your Vic B. Like if, if, Clowny, if they sign someone to be Clowny or if Lawson is their Clowny from last year or if Clowny is their Clowny again, then Okwara is their Vic Beasley, their third guy, rotational guy who comes in so that Harold Landry doesn't have to play 90% of snaps again. Um, But yeah, there is buyer beware here. I think that that's kind of going to be the case for most of these guys. I mean, we've been putting out some good articles on Broadway sports, but other guys that fall into this same category, Hassan Reddick, um, Leonard Floyd, Trey Hendrickson, where how do you how do you think those guys stack up against each other and against Aquara? Reddick scares me. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. Reddick definitely scares me a, li- a little. You know, obviously he's he's had a tough time kind of figuring out 
figuring it out in the league. And, you know, he's, he's moved positions. I want to say a couple of times, you know, off ball linebacker edge had a, you know, and the numbers are a little inflated this year, right? I think he had one game where he had five sacks this season. So you, you got to take that into consideration. I, I, I would be very weary of, 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 of Reddick, you know, especially, you know, assuming he's going to get, you know, something close to, I don't know what, again, you probably have the value there, but probably close to 10 million a year, right? I assume he's going to be in that Okwara range uh, of sorts. So I, I would be really hesitant. Trey Hendrickson, on the other hand, is somebody that I really like. I think that's a really good football player. I think that's someone you can rely on. I, I don't worry a lot about him, you know, signing somewhere else and, and maybe not producing. I, I want to say Trey Hendrickson was a, a day three pick from what I, I remember interviewing him before the draft. And I think he was a day three guy, right? He was, let me, I got to write. Oh, well, actually, sorry. Third round, 103rd overall uh, by New Orleans uh, back in 2017. So same draft year as, as Carl Lawson. So he was taken before Lawson then, I guess, uh, funny enough. But that, that's a guy that I really like. That is someone that I would go after. Strikes me as, as a really good football player. Did you see that stat that came out a couple of weeks ago? I, I'm trying to find it right now. I can't remember exactly what the wording was. It was like most most unblocked pressures, unblocked sacks, un, unblocked like plays that came off of not where the they weren't blocked. Um, aha, I found it. Most coverage cleanup sacks 2019 through 2020 among edge rushers. Trey Hendrickson, number one, 14. Bud Dupree, number two, 13. Wait, he had, I'm not, how, yeah. he had, he had 14 sacks. No, that were cleanup sacks. 14 cover it. Andre Weingarten. Do you follow him on Twitter? I do. I do. Yeah. Um, at Swami underscore EA tweeted this on February 23rd, most coverage or cleanup sacks, 2019, 2020. So that's two seasons, past two seasons. Oh, the past Trey two Hendrickson, seasons. Okay, gotcha. number one, 14 of his sacks over the last the same, two years. I think he, he only had than, 13 and a half. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, m- more than anyone in the NFL um, there. So that's pretty interesting. Maybe I'm a little biased. I know I'm reverting back to my scouting report a little on him. Uh, coming out of college and I always liked him. I really did. So it's nice to see him again. I don't want to sound biased on here because I guess there's a little buyer beware here too, right? Similar yeah. to Aquara. It's not like he's put together a, a ton of good seasons. I mean, after his first two years in the league, uh, he only had two combined sacks, right? And they both came as a rookie. He, he, he was blanked uh, as a sophomore year. It was only limited to five games though. Uh, but yeah, he breaks out this year with 13 and a half sacks, his fourth year in the league. You know, started to put it together a little bit last year in, or two years ago, I should say, in 2019 when he had four and a half sacks. Again, he's starting to see the, a bit of a progression there. Uh, but he's a guy that I've always liked. I like him coming out. He was a, a big time sleeper in my opinion. I, I remember really enjoying his tape in college, really enjoyed the film. So um, it, put it this way. If I was choosing between Trey Hendrickson, uh, Hassan Reddick, and, and, and Romeo Aquara, I, I think I would go with Hendrickson. Okay, that's fair. I'd go with Aquara there, and I think we both have Reddick third on that list. Yes. What yeah, about yeah, Reddick would be last for me there? Yeah. Uh, what about Leonard Floyd, who we're talking about? Okay, a similar stat here: most unblocked pressures over the last two years. Leonard Floyd is actually tied with Harold Landry for fourth. With 22, Matt Judon is second at 29. Um, what do you think about Leonard Floyd? I mean, this is another guy who kind of, he was a, a much higher pick, I think, than anyone else we've been talking about. I think he was like the 10th overall pick by Chicago. He was a first round pick 20- for sure, yeah. Top yeah, top 15 back, for sure. Yeah, I think top, maybe number eight overall. Top 10 for sure uh, to, to Chicago in 2016. And kind of struggled. He had seven sacks as a rookie, but kind of struggled to find his footing over the next three years. And then goes to Los Angeles, the Rams in 2020, plays alongside Aaron Donald, only starts six games, but finished with 10 and a half sacks, a career high. Um, What do you think about Leonard Floyd? I mean, it's another situation of buyer beware. One year wonder that Botrack has his market value higher than anyone else as we've talked about so far at four years 52 million projecting him at 13.1 million Ooh. per year that's a lot for leonard floyd it's a lot of money yeah i mean the thing with floyd obviously first of all this is a talented player obviously right there's a reason he went top 10 overall there's always that potential there that you you wonder and you hope to unlock for whatever reason it, it didn't happen for him in chicago you know and, and sometimes guys like that just need a change of scenery right that's the honest truth 
you know, the, the expectations I imagine of being a top 10 pick in a, in a city like Chicago, where obviously the demands are high and the fan base is crazy and they, and they love their team. They love their bears. It didn't work out for him. Seven sacks as a rookie felt like he peaked there, right. As a rookie. And that's never, that's never a good in Chicago. At least that is never a good thing. Never top four and a half sacks again in Chicago. Right. And after a disappointing 2019, they were, you know, they, they, they were okay to let him go and sort of admit defeat and, and say, we, we, you know, that's, that's a pick that we kind of wasted. Right. You're sure that's how they, they felt, but what happens? He gets to change the scenery. He goes to Los Angeles. He plays great, right? Ten and a half sacks on a defense, by the way, that was probably my favorite defense to watch in 2020. I mean, what yeah. a terrific turnaround that was. They, they had a lot of guys that, you, you, you know, you hadn't really heard a ton about. Obviously, you had your star power there with, with uh, Aaron Donald and guys like Jalen Ramsey, but guys like John Johnson in the secondary. Right. Seeing guys like Leonard Floyd um, do what they, you know, do what they did and the resurgence that he had. And just, just so many guys there just were terrific this year. They, they didn't have a lot of big names, uh, but they were terrific to watch. And, and, and that would be my concern a little on him. Right. Is that he, again, you, you said it, playing next to Aaron Donald, playing for a, a brilliant 30 year old, you know, defensive coordinator that's now a head coach. And I say, I know he's not 30, but he's 30 something years old. Right. He's now a head coach for the Chargers. So, a little bit of buyer beware there too. I mean, again, I, I would take him before I would take Hassan Reddick, but I would be concerned about, uh, about the payday that he's about to receive. Yeah. So if we're looking at ranking these guys here, Carl Lawson, by the way, I didn't mention his, his calculated market value based on Spotrack is 8.8 .8 million per year, basically 9 oh, million a year at four years, 35 million. I mean, that just seems so low for me for what this guy has done from an efficiency standpoint that, again, I know he only had six sacks last year, but just looking at the advanced numbers, it looks like he could have had a lot more. And I would definitely, like I said, rank him number one. Um, and then you know, of the guys we've mentioned so far, Reddick's probably last with Floyd and Oquara somewhere in between those guys. What about some of the veteran options? It looks like Von Miller's going to hit the market. You got uh, Ryan Kerrigan and Justin Houston out there as well as older guys. It looks like Olivier Vernon is probably going to be on the market. Um, any of these older guys, Everson Griffin's still out there. Any of these guys do it for you? You know, one guy I'm really intrigued by is Ryan Kerrigan. Now, I know he's, you know, 32 years old and he's had some injury issues. And I certainly don't think he's the guy that he was, you know, years ago when he was putting up 11 sacks, 13 sacks, 13 and a half sacks. In the last two years, he's had five and a half sacks. So he's finished both years with the same total. So, yeah, his, his best years are behind them. But when you talk about signing a secondary player, to me, you know, I, I would feel pretty good about, you know, signing Carl Lawson and Ryan Kerrigan and pairing them with Harold Landry and Derek Roberson. I know there's not a lot of star power there. There may not be a, a, you know, a name that really jumps out at you and, and, and gets you super excited, right? Obviously, there's not a, it's not you know, the star power of a J.J. Watt or a Khalil Mack or, or yada, yada. But I do really like Ryan Kerrigan as the veteran option that can come in, play with great effort, is, is a proven guy, uh, has been a sack artist throughout his entire career. I mean, he's approaching 100 career sacks, which is an incredible feat. Uh, you know, come, can come in, be a leader, right? I don't think they, they obviously don't have a, a veteran guy there that could be a leader in the locker room. So uh, when you talk about a secondary signing, a guy like Ryan Kerrigan would make a lot of sense to me. I agree. I think Von Miller's probably, I mean, if his, if his contract's anything close to what he was making in Denver, probably past the point of being able to help the Titans for, for whatever value you could get for him. And Justin Houston, I mean, Justin Houston would be an interesting option, but I kind of feel like Justin Houston gave the Colts two good years and the Titans missed out on the chance to get those two good years. And now if you sign him now, it's more going to be a possible Cameron Wake situation, which obviously did not work out very well for the Titans after he got injured and only had two sacks, two and a half sacks that year. So I think you, you're kind of playing with fire with the guys that are getting up there in age and Von Miller and Justin Houston, both 32 years old and Ryan Kerrigan actually older than, than either of them. But I feel like he just has more left in the tank in terms of an injury standpoint. And he, he's not going to be an every down starter by any means, but he's the exact kind of guy that can a mentor a young edge rusher, which the Titans should definitely be drafting this year and b come in and spell exactly what we've been talking about for what like three months since this 
season ended is talking about spelling Harold Landry and letting him not have to play every single snap. You you would feel more than confident and comfortable bringing Kerrigan in, who might be a better player overall than Landry, just doesn't have the ability at this point in his career to stay on the field for every snap. So I think that those guys would be interesting. Olivier Vernon, probably not that helpful. There's other guys on the market, but I don't even know if they're worth talking about, to be honest. Um, guys like Tyrone Crawford and Taco Charlton and some guys who would be kind of like reclamation project types. Um, is there anyone, Tack McKinley, is there anyone that stands out from that kind of list that you might be interested in for the Titans? Barkevius Mingo is 31 now. Truthfully, um, no. Yeah, I <laughs> no, agree. No, really does it. I mean, Von Miller would certainly... Uh, interest me uh to an extent but again i think again maybe with a name there and, and star power situation there that perhaps uh perhaps he gets more than um you know than than he probably warrants at, at this age especially you know coming off a huge injury right he missed the entire season right wasn't he hurt in a, in a practice leading up to that week one game against the titans and right. uh just yeah i mean for for me if i'm choosing between ryan kerrigan and von miller taking dollar value into account knowing that ryan kerrigan's probably going to get paid less than von miller is going to then for me it's it's ryan kerrigan all day long agreed all right that will cover the edge position i think unless there's any other guys on your radar you want to mention tyus bowser or anyone like that who i don't I think, think bowser's that... in, intriguing yeah but uh but other than that no yeah, I think we covered the best fits at that position for sure. So let's talk a little bit now about some guys that might be on the market as a surprise cut. So we've already heard about Kyle Van Noy being planning to be released by Miami. Uh, apparently they're looking for a trade, but they've already announced that they're going to release him. <laughs> I, I don't know where the leverage Which comes from. I had some fun that. on Twitter with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but apparently, you know, that's a guy who has Patriot ties, started his career in New England and played in the New England defense down there for Brian Flores in Miami. And he's an inside linebacker, outside linebacker, kind of hybrid. He's more of an inside linebacker guy, more kind of like how the Titans use Rashawn Evans, where he'll come down and, and rush the passer on obvious passing downs. But just looking at how poorly the Titans defense was played last year, how how bad they were against play action a lot of times with those linebackers like Rashawn Evans coming and biting on a play fake and abandoning the zone behind him. You know, if you get a guy like Kyle Van Noy, who's proven to be a good player in this league, who's being pr proven to be a productive player, you know what? If the, For the right price, I, I know it's not necessarily a need, but if Jayon Brown walks... It could be a potential need. We talked about how the Titans need to add a linebacker too, probably for cheap. But if you get a guy like Kyle Van Noy, what, what are you what are you thinking about this guy? You know, I hate to be this guy because I, I can understand the side of the argument where it makes some sense. You know, he's a pretty good blitzer, right? As well, and, and he's he's had some you know some some sacks in his career. He's put up some good numbers there. I think he could help them in some areas, like you said, but. If I'm going to do anything that's going to cost money at the inside linebacker position, I'm just, I'm bringing Jayon Brown back. I'm not, you know, letting Jayon walk and trading for Kyle Van Noy or, or paying Kyle Van Noy, you know, what, what, what it's going to take in free agency. Curious, again, you're more of a market guy than I am. I wonder where his potential value stacks up next to a Jayon Brown. And I doubt there's a monumental difference there either way, but if I'm going to do anything at inside linebacker, I'm bringing Jayon Brown back because I, you know, I think this is a team that needs to spend money and pour resources, whether again, that's free agency draft into edge and into corner, especially if it's coming from the outside. So I personally would pass on Kyle Van Noy because I think there are, are, are better moves to be made there on the defense than bringing in another inside linebacker than that, uh, you know, and, and letting the good one that you have walk. Right. And Van Noy is about to turn 30 in a couple of weeks. Jayon Brown, of course, only 26, about, about to turn 27, actually. Um, they have Brown's market value at 11 million. And I don't know what Van Noy is going to sign for, but his he was on a 12 and a half million per year deal with Miami that they just got out of. So probably be a little less than that, but that could put him, like you said, right in the range, 11 million or so of Jayon Brown. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Another guy that's, uh, I've seen reports that he's expected to be released is Preston Smith, who's an edge, plays for Green Bay the last couple seasons. 
any interest in Preston Smith? He kind of flamed out when he got to Green Bay, but Zadarius Smith was was really good, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually would have some interest in, in Preston Smith. Certainly, you know, a little bit more than some of the names um, that, that we've discussed. Um, you know, throughout the course of this episode. Yeah, he's a guy who got a pretty big con. Wasn't it just, was it just a year ago he got that contract in Green Bay? No, he played two years ago. He played in 2019 and he played in 2020 there. But I mean, he got right. there in 2019 and he didn't disappoint. He had he had 12 sacks in 2019. You know, he had a terrific year uh, for, for them in 2019. And yeah, you know, some of those could have been cleanups and, and yada, yada. I'd be curious to see what the deeper research says. But 12 sacks is 12 sacks. As a Titans fan, are you turning down 12 sacks right now? <laughs> Right, exactly. I mean, the Titans haven't had a 12-sack guy in <laughs> how long, right? It's, it's, um, been, it's been a while, I would imagine. Well, Vic so, Beasley, 15 and a half in 2016. <laughs> not in Tennessee. When was the last time they had one in Tennessee? Yeah, it's been a but, long um, time. But yeah, Preston Smith's a guy I would definitely be interested. I would have more interest in Preston Smith, certainly than I would in Hassan Reddick, uh, certainly than I would in Von Miller. Um, certainly than I would in a, you know, maybe even a tie Bowser, certainly more than a Bud Dupree and a, and a Matt Judon, you know, based on, again, market value there, you know, bang for your buck. Um, yeah, for sure. Preston Smith, I'd put him in the category where it was Trey Hendrickson and, and maybe Aquara, where I'd be very intrigued. Right. We've seen him play yeah. at a high level. We've, we've exactly, seen him do yeah. it. You know, there's a reason the he got is, that contract in Green Bay. Yeah. And, and he didn't is, disappoint. Can Tennessee the first get year. that play out of him? Can Shane Bowen get that play? <laughs> get the good look. I mean, we could argue that all night long. Uh, if we don't think Shane Bowen is capable of, of getting that sort of play out of him, then we can make that argument for every single player here, right? So there's yeah, true. to me that's that that's a wasted argument and it doesn't make sense to do. Yeah, you can have your qualms with the Bowen hire. Obviously it wasn't popular. I know people are still angry about it, but you can't go down the rabbit hole of, well, I'm not going to sign this edge player because I don't think Shane Bowen can get the most out of him. No. This team needs the Shane Bowen didn't have any talent at edge last year. He didn't have anybody. <laughs> it's not like he wasted. Big Beasley doesn't count. He wasn't talented. You know what I mean? And, and Clowney <laughs> was playing okay. He really was. He got hurt. It happened. So yeah, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Bring in good players. If if they bring in a bunch of good players, and you know they they still don't get any sacks, then yes, then then that's then we go down that rabbit. Sticking with inside linebackers who may or may not be available. What are your thoughts on Super Bowl champion Levante David? Well, you're going to make me sound like an idiot now because I said I wouldn't bring in any inside linebackers, but Levante David's a hell of a football player, right? I don't know <laughs> that the same rule applies to Levante David as it does, uh, you know, a guy like Kyle Van Noy, who I just said I, I'd have more interest in bringing Jayon Brown uh, back. Levante David's a game changer, right? There's no doubt about it. One of the best inside linebackers in the NFL. So that, that again, though, do you throw that money at an inside linebacker as opposed to an edge or even a corner? Yeah, Spocek has him at three years, thirty-eight million market value, projected twelve point seven million average annual salary. Again, that's more than Jayon Brown's projected for. You have other holes. Is this where the money goes? But at the same time, I do think inside linebacker is kind of an undervalued position. And the more the NFL moves towards being a passing league with he heavy play action, the more important inside linebacker continues to get in terms of a player that can cover and play the run and there's nobody better possibly at covering and playing the run than somebody like Levante David you know so while it's not exactly the the big need on the defensive side of the ball I do think it could solve multiple problems you know it makes you better at pass defense and run defense how many other positions can you add that do both so instantly right yeah that's that's tough because I, I do understand the point of your argument I, I really do uh, I think you make a good point there, but for me, I'm always gonna, I'm all, you know, I'm I'm an edge and corner guy. I think they're the two most important positions on the defense for sure. Um, and, and and there's a real conversation to be had there about what is quote unquote the smart way to spread the money around your defense, right? What is a smart way? To, to, to target certain positions with that money. And for me, I, I'm always going to lean towards edge and corner more than I am anywhere else. Yeah, ultimately, I do agree. And I do think we've talked about this before. John Robinson has a pretty good ability to spot inside linebackers as long as he's not taking them in the first round because <laughs> Jayon and Jayon Brown and David Long, obviously, 
both great players that he found in the fifth round, sixth round for David Long. So, yeah, do you throw $13 million a year at this position in a year where the salary cap's going down and you almost have to sign an edge and you should maybe possibly sign a wide receiver or bring back your wide receiver? Like, yeah, I don't know if this is the best way to go with the best way to spend your money. So therefore, I'm going to say not on the best fits list, which is the point of this podcast in general. Let's turn back to somebody I think probably would be a great fit. And actually, this was, he was just written about um, by in an article for NFL.com for the Titans, naming the best fit, free agent fit for every AFC team or something. I think Mark Sessler wrote this article. And he said the best fit in the AFC for the Titans was Curtis Samuel. Thoughts? I really like Curtis Samuel. I really do. I think he's a, a really good football player. I think you can do a lot of fun things with him. You can, you know, a variety of ways to target him. I mean, when Christian McCaffrey went down this year, he was taking snaps at running back, right? And, and this right. is a receiver. So I really like Curtis Samuel. I think the Titans would really like his versatility and what he offers, uh, you know, everywhere in the passing game. You can put a, you know, you're not going to give him a ton of reps at running back, of course, and you've got Derrick Henry back there. But it's always nice to have someone who's versatile and can make things happen with the ball in his hands. Uh, I am If the Titans can't afford to bring Corey Davis back, I think that's still my number one go-to at the receiver position is, is to bring Corey Davis back. But if they can't do that, if Corey prices himself out of their market, Curtis Samuel is certainly going to cost less than Corey Davis is going to. I think I don't, I don't think you can get a better backup plan than Curtis Samuel. I, I would, if, if they can't bring Corey back, I would love to see it happen. Yeah, this is a guy who's, I mean, he hasn't been uber productive in his career. Last year, finished with 851 receiving yards on 77 catches, but, you know, he only played 658 snaps. For comparison, Corey Davis played 718 snaps, so about 60 more snaps and had about 130 more receiving yards. So it's not like Curtis Samuel hasn't been productive. He's never had great natural hands, but he can do a lot of things and he can just be another weapon that, the Titans don't really have anyone like Curtis Samuel. I mean, the closest player maybe is like a Cameron Batson, maybe. But I, I think Curtis Samuel brings an extra element in terms of downfield receiving ability. And he's only 24 years old, right? I think that's what's most impressive here. The crazy thing to me is that Spotrack has Curtis Samuel's market value, $12.4 million. Meanwhile, they have Corey Davis's market value at... Just $9.8 million that's per year, both those per year. So they, they have Curtis Samuel as $2.5 million per year, more expensive market value projection right now, which honestly, I'd almost flip those projections and, and expect Corey to be the one getting closer to $12 million with Curtis Samuel getting closer to $10 million. Yeah, I can't imagine that Curtis Samuel is going to get more money than Corey Davis. I, I would anticipate that. Uh, you're right, that Corey gets at least, you know, probably – two and a half to, to three and a half million dollars more annually than Curtis Samuel does. I think you hit the nail on the head. You, you talked about Romeo Aquara. Now I know it's a different position, but seeing him as a guy that gets 10 million a year, I would think Curtis Samuel's in that same ballpark, right? He's not, he's not going to be a team splash signing at wide receiver, right? If a team wants to make a splash signing, there looks like there's going to be a lot of guys, right? Whether it's a Corey Davis or a Chris Godwin. Uh, Allen um, Robinson. And Allen Robinson, of course. I think Kenny Galladay, right, is on the yeah. market as well, but Potentially. So just a huge difference there, uh, right, of, of talent. So uh, if the Titans, to me, that that's a situation where you bring Curtis in because Corey Davis gets $3 million more a year, right, than Curtis Samuel does, and you're more comfortable in Curtis's price range. So uh, I, I would be shocked if Curtis got the same or more money than Corey Davis gets. And on the Corey Davis note, we haven't talked about this on our podcast yet, but Teron Davenport of ESPN is reporting that the Titans and Corey Davis are trying to make something work. Buck Rising, uh, newly on 104.5 The Zone. Congrats to Buck, a friend of the podcast, or maybe not this podcast, but he's been on a podcast with you and me before, (laughs) whatever. Um, Congrats to Buck there. He says that Corey Davis and the Titans are leaning towards working out a long-term extension you had some very vague reports about Corey looking at real estate in the state of Tennessee. And, you know, there's a report about how money isn't the most important thing to him. Corey had a cryptic retweet about how people will kill him for loyalty or something like that. So 
I'm not trying to connect any dots that aren't there, but it does seem like all signs are pointing towards the Titans wanting to re-sign Corey Davis. Now, whether or not he ends up accepting whatever they want to re-sign him for is still to be determined, but it does look like they at least want him back in Tennessee. So that'll be interesting because that'll definitely shape how they can attack the receiver position in free agency. If Curtis Hammond really does end up with a $12 million a year market value, I don't think there's any world where you can re-sign Corey Davis and sign Curtis Samuel, given the needs on the defensive side of the ball. No, that would be ridiculous to me, truthfully. If, if they, you know, no, you cannot, re, you know, bring in Corey back and, and bring in a guy like Curtis Samuel. That, that, that's not a way uh, for this team to spread their money around this offseason. I think if you bring Corey back, I think you draft a receiver, uh, but you could probably do that at somewhere in between round two to four. Right, as opposed to committing big money to a, another receiver. Uh, yeah, I mean, between myself, uh, Buck, of course, and, and you said it there, congratulations to Buck on the new gig or the extra gig that that he'll be doing, really uh, starting to you know dominate uh, you know in Nashville, uh, the voice of Nashville radio. Um, yeah. But between myself, Buck, and, and, and Tehran, as you mentioned, we've all sort of had positive reports. Um, that the Titans are potentially working on something. Now, that's not a guarantee. In terms of my my information, I was I was very clear on Twitter. Um, it, it just it, I, I, what I said was Corey's. You know, from what I hear, is not looking for the biggest money offer. You know, that winning matters to him. He's a loyal guy, uh, and he just recently bought a house in Nashville. That that doesn't have to mean that he's staying. It could be an investment property. His wife is from Nashville. Uh, you know, they, it's important for them, as, as as I believe Buck mentioned, for them to keep roots in the city. Uh, but between, you know, again, me, Buck, and TD, uh, we all seem to be reporting that that there's some interest in bringing Corey back, and there should be. There should be interest. Now, I, I would still, you know, you said it earlier in this episode, J.J. Watt said the free agency is wild. Corey, let's be honest, Corey would be silly not to test it, right, and, and see what that's like and get that experience. So it'll be interesting to see how things happen because this things could change drastically. Once he tests the market, Tennessee could have all the interest in the world in bringing him back. But if, as we're reporting, but if he decides to test the market and it starts getting hot and heavy out there for him, then it might be a case where Tennessee backs out at that point. Yeah, I, I agree. So let's entertain the idea that they do back out and look at some of these other names. I'm going to say right off the bat, I don't think as much fun as Allen Robinson would be in a Titans uniform. I don't think Allen Robinson, Will Fuller, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chris Godwin, or Kenny Galladay, who I would say are probably the five biggest wide receiver free agents besides Corey Davis. I don't think any of those guys are are really realistic targets for the Titans. I think they'll all be overpriced for, you know, I mean, if the Titans want to pay up for a receiver like we've just been talking about, it's going to be Corey Davis. It's not going to be Chris Godwin, who is most likely going to be back in Tampa Bay. It's not going to be Juju Smith-Schuster, who is like... Corey Davis, but not, I don't know. Am I crazy to think Corey Davis is a better receiver than Juju Smith-Schuster? That's close. That's close. I think I'll say this. I think Corey Davis is a better Looking at their last two seasons, I mean, yeah, Juju's quarterback play hasn't been great, but like Corey Davis had to play with Marcus Mariota and the struggling Titans offense and the team that throws the ball the least of anyone in the league. And over the last two years, Corey has outproduced Juju in both seasons. Juju Smith-Schuster has 1,380 receiving yards in the last two seasons combined. I'll say this. I think Corey Davis is a better fit for the Tennessee Titans than Juju Smith-Schuster. Never would I let Corey Davis walk to bring in Juju instead. Right. We've seen what Corey does. We've seen what he's capable of in this offense. I think he's a great secondary player to have, you know, next to AJ Brown. You see the work he does in the blocking game. He's one of the best, most physical receivers as a blocker. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that you would ever let Corey Davis walk to bring in Juju, not in this situation. But, and I agree, I don't think the Titans are going to go out and sign Allen Robinson or Chris Godwin. It would be shocking, but hey, you know, maybe they want to put their pedal to the metal and say, hey, it's an offensive league. We need to be great on offense. We need to maintain, you know, our production. Let's go out with a bang and let's go get a huge receiver. But I, I don't see it happening. What about AJ Green? What about John Robinson returning to an old tradition that he hasn't tried in a few years where he used to be always signing guys like Andre Johnson or Eric Decker in freaking August before the season starts? What about a guy like AJ Green fits into that same kind of mold? Yeah, I mean, I, if you're letting Corey Davis walk and you're bringing in A.J. Green and hoping that he fills the void left behind, I think you're playing with fire. 
But that could be a situation where you draft a guy highly, but you're not sure if he's going to be able to start from day one. So you have a guy like A.J. Green to handle like 50% of the snaps while you let, I don't know, Rashad Bateman figure it out or something. I love Rashad Bateman. So you're not going to hear me argue against drafting Rashad Bateman. I've said it before. I think he's an excellent fit for this offense. So I, I am very much team Rashad Bateman. But again, I think let, you know, and keep in mind, I, I know Adam Humphreys hasn't always been healthy, but you're losing Adam. Hum- you lost Adam Humphreys. If you're losing Corey Davis, AJ, you know, there, there, there's a bringing in AJ green and, you know, a rookie receiver and hoping it fixes what you lost in Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys is a very dangerous game to play because I think of, you know, a, a very possible scenario there is AJ Green is old, you know, over the hill a little bit and, 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 and has had a lot of injury issues over the past years and a rookie receiver takes time to figure it out. If both of those things happen in that scenario and it's very possible that they both happen, what a disaster. Right, right. Okay, I'm going to name a bunch of like mid-tier veteran guys who are between like 27 to 32-ish, and you just stop me if you think the Titans would have interest in any of them. Sammy Watkins, Marvin Jones, Rashad Perriman, Willie Sneed, John Ross, Mohamed Sanu, Nelson Aguilar. I know Zach... Yeah, yeah, Zach Lyons has been a little. About he interests me a little. Anymore. He had a nice real he had a real nice bounce back year this past season. Spotrack has him projected at nine point seven million dollars annually, basically two years, twenty million. Would you do that deal for Algalor? That seems like kind of a lot for him. I would I would much rather do that deal for Curtis Samuel. Right. You said it was yeah, much rather do that deal for Curtis Samuel. Yeah, that's what they have for Aguilar. So that seems like a lot for him. What about Philip Dorsett? Rashard no. Higgins. <laughs> Rashard Higgins is interesting. He's not bad. He's not bad. But again, I think Cleveland my guy. issue with all these names you're getting to now is, uh, you know, I don't know that they're a number, you know, a number two wide receiver. Yeah, you're projecting them up to that to that level. What about Josh Reynolds, Los Angeles Rams, only 26 years old, doesn't quite fit my criteria. Very, but. yeah, very intrigued by Josh Reynolds. If I was going to sign a young receiver. That hasn't done a ton, you know. He, you know, he's been buried on the depth chart there a little bit, right? Yeah. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. So uh, uh, Brandon Cooks was there. V- very yeah. intrigued by Josh Reynolds. Think he's a good, good football player. That's a guy I would rather sign Josh Reynolds than Nelson Aguilar. I'll say that. I agree. I think if you're looking at a guy who is a mid-tier guy who's going to be closer to eight to nine million a year instead of like twelve to fifteen or whatever. I think he actually fits pretty well. And guess what? He's been with Sean McVay his whole career. So he knows the West Coast offense that Matt LaFleur installed in Tennessee that they're still likely to be running with Todd Downing here. So he's a guy that would know the system already, can play on the outside, can play big in the red zone. I think he's actually a really intriguing option. And he belongs, in my opinion, on the best fits in free agency if Corey Davis were to be let go or were to walk away yeah josh reynolds would really really interest me i know i'm kind of just you know repeating myself but that's a guy that i can see uh you know really breaking out next season if he lands in the right situation i'm a big fan of his game we've seen him a couple times you're a fantasy guy of course i I enjoy playing fantasy we've seen him a couple times right get into the starting lineup when they've had injuries and he's played pretty well at times for them when he's got an opportunity so he's a guy where i think if you start getting him opportunities consistently could really have a nice career still. Yeah, and I think he's another situation where you draft somebody early in the first three right. rounds who who's the you know expected long-term starter, and if that long-term starter doesn't live up to expectations, then you hope Josh Reynolds blooms into a, an every-down starter kind of guy. But Absolutely. Again, I would, would feel be, a lot better about pairing Josh yeah. Reynolds with a rookie than I would A.J. Green with a rookie. Yeah, I agree just because of the injury history. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Is there any other positions you think the Titans are going to be targeting when it comes to free agency, not the draft, but free agency specifically that you want to talk about here before we wrap up this episode? I, I, you know, I think we certainly touched on the positions that they're most likely, um, to target. I, we didn't really touch on corner. Obviously I wouldn't no. rule out corner and I, I don't wouldn't think rule I would it rule out, out, but the... I don't expect, I mean, 
at least not in the first week or the first wave, you know, of free agency, I would be I would be beyond shocked if they brought in a high-priced cornerback. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they're going to do anything huge there. No, that that would that would kind of surprise me as well. Um and that's why I didn't really see the need to touch on it here, but Again, it's we're, we're not in John Robinson's head, though, so it really depends on what his philosophy is. Maybe he wants to bring in a big D tackle to play next to Jeffrey Simmons, and he thinks getting pressure up the middle right, is a better route than splurging on, on, on an edge rusher. Maybe he thinks they need to play better coverage and, and, and sign another corner. But no, I agree. I think they're most likely, if they're going to spend money, it'll be on bringing Corey Davis back or replacing Corey Davis or, or, and, and, and signing one or two uh, pretty, pretty significant edge players. Yeah. That's interesting. You mentioned the, the tackle thing. Cause we saw him go after Ndamukong Sue a few years back. He's going to be a free agent. If Tampa Bay doesn't resign him. What about someone like Leonard Williams? I mean, he's most likely going to hit the market now coming out of the, the giants after the jets drafted him could have been a Titan back in 2015. If the Titans had taken that, that trade, uh, not taking Marcus Mariota, but I don't know. To me, it's going to be too expensive to sign a defensive tackle like that. Like if you do that, you're probably not signing a big edge and edge is more important, but any thoughts on that? I agree. I, I wouldn't look at the Sue, you know, Robinson's previous uh, pursuit of Sue as, uh, as him as that he wanted some big time defensive tackle. I think that was a special case where it's, oh my God, and you know, Ndamukong Sue is available. It's a guy that's a game changer. Let's go get him. Right. I don't think it's an indication that he wants to go out and get a big DT. I, again, I think it was sort of a specialized case there uh, for Sue. So I, I'd be surprised if they, if they put themselves in the market for a guy like Leonard Williams. I agree, and Spotrac has him projected at five years, fifty-six million, about eleven million a year. Which, I mean, that's not that's not horrible. If if you let's say lose Daquan Jones for whatever reason, and you can get Williams' first year cap hit down to seven million or so with signing bonuses and the like, then maybe it's something you entertain. But I think again, this is yet another example where I would prefer the Titans, and if I was in their shoes, I would. Resign the guys that are going to hit the market before splurging on outside free agents at the same position. I agree. Splurge on Corey Davis, Jayon Brown, and John New Smith. That would be right. my ideal splurge. And then, of course, I'd love to get an edge rusher in here. They need to get an edge rusher in here, but ideally, keep your own guys. That's that's the best thing you can do. As far as the five biggest contracts they hand out go, I would say those three guys you just named. Plus, in a perfect, perfect world for me, it's those three guys plus Carl Lawson and Romeo Aquara, and anyone else they sign is like depth or special teams or, or whatever. But I think they re-sign those three guys that, that are pending and get two big edge rushers and call it a free agency period and get ready for the draft. That, that, would be, uh, that would be excellent. I think what you just described there would be excellent. If they have the money to do it, I think that's, that's, the, that's the best way to attack this free agency. Look at that, and general manager, Justin Graver. Oh, hey, stop it. Speaking of uh, freeing up money, did you see Ben Roethlisberger just redid his contract with Pittsburgh and saved them $15 million against the cap this year? Like, that's how easy it is, folks. Exactly. And that, that was actually my first thought when I saw what happened there. I said, that's literally how easy it is. The Titans are going to be able to find some ways here, hopefully in the next week, probably a week and a half or so to create a bunch of money for themselves. Cause it really is that easy. Sometimes I just feel like the salary caps a myth. Yeah, it is a myth. And, and while you're talking about next week, let's take a look ahead really quick because we, we're going to have one more episode of the music city audible before the nfl league year restarts and free agency begins and i think next week is gonna be a news heavy kind of week we're gonna see lots of veterans surprisingly let go by their teams to save money against the cap we're gonna see lots of news about restructures we could get some franchise tag news because the deadline is march 9th to use the franchise or transition tag and we could get some re-signings uh ryan Tannehill was re-signed Right before the league year reset last year, Derrick Henry was franchise tagged, I think, the day of the deadline or maybe the day before the deadline. So all these things are going to start happening. We're finally, I mean, there are a lot. The The NFL news cycle never really quits. There are a couple dead periods 
One of them is uh, between OTAs and training camp starting, and the other one is between the Super Bowl and the start of free agency. And that one is coming to an end in a matter of weeks, a matter of days, really. So it's going to be an exciting time over the next few weeks. I cannot wait. Yeah, there's a good chance we're going to have a pretty jam-packed episode next week, and, and that gets me excited. Um, I'm very... Uh, you know, uh, curious to see what happens between the end of this recording and, uh, and and next Friday, you know, when we drop this next episode. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about, and that's exciting. Yes, I agree. I think we'll be finally reacting to actual lots of news again, which which is always a more fun way to conduct a podcast. So anyway, thank you guys for listening to this very long episode going through the best fits in Titans free agency. I hope we covered it well enough for all of your satisfaction. If we did, maybe think about heading over to wherever you listen to the podcast, give it a five-star rating, help us grow on those charts of, of you know, top-rated podcasts and all that fun stuff. Subscribe, unsubscribe, read, subscribe, leave us a review. We really appreciate it if you don't mind doing those things for us. Helps us grow the show. And be sure to check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. We've had all kinds of, of write-ups going up this week. You did a Earlier this week, what'd you have? An offensive tackle in every round draft and two scouting reports. I got two scouting reports done. So we're, we're pumping out the content right now over Broadway Sports Media. And look for more of it next week. Uh, I'm planning to write up a couple more scouting reports on, on on positions that the Titans should look to target. I'm thinking, you know, again, I did one edge, one receiver last week. I had Joe Tryon, an edge from Washington, and I had receiver Amari Rogers from Clemson. Uh, sorry, I had I actually had I had receivers Dwayne Eskridge uh, from Western Michigan. I'm actually planning to write up Amari Rogers uh, sometime this weekend. So look for another scouting, uh, two scouting reports next week. Certainly uh, going to go with my same format: one edge and one receiver. Nice. And I'm going to try to get to Quiddy Pay and Patrick Jones, which would put us at five or six edge rushers total for the site because uh, I did Gregory Rousseau and Aziz Ojulari, which dropped. Rousseau was yesterday and Ojulari actually this morning on Friday. So be sure to check out those reports, those write-ups. We're getting deep into draft season. As soon as free agency wraps up, Justin and I are going to dive really hard into draft prospects on this podcast. So get ready for that. Anything else you want to add before we end this episode? Uh, that is all, you know, uh, check, check out some of the draft interviews I've been doing, tweeting them out um, every single day. Um, pretty much at least one interview a day that I'm, I'm dropping right now. Currently, we've got a lot of good info on on prospect visits with the Titans. I'm sure we'll get into that at some point. And I've got to interview some some really interesting players and prospects over the last couple of weeks. And I'm probably sitting on 35 or 40 completed interviews right now that I haven't even released. So the plan wow. is to do at least one a day, but I'll probably ramp that up at some point as they, as they continue to stack. So I uh, ho- hope you've been uh, you know checking those out and enjoying them. Yeah, and if you haven't been, be sure to find them at Justin M underscore NFL on Twitter. I am at Titans Film Room. You can follow the show at MCA Broadway for all the new episodes when they are dropped. And that'll do it. That's it for this week. We will see you guys next time. Until then, you guys continue to stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.